This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Seven minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. It's time for us to talk about an anticipated report by Reporters Sans Frontières. It's all about press freedom. But before we do that, I just want to reflect on some of your thoughts before the news bulletin. Um, uh, Baba Gatando says, Lerato, it's a Porsche. Correct pronunciation, not very common, but it's a Porsche. Malisela Bambo says, Lerato, great show. Thank you, thank you, Malisela. And Pastor Tay says, I was most definitely going to get Bra Bob's front seat, if not one of the passengers and one of the leading traffic directors in that lane. He just loved the sport of Formula One. Banna, the legend, was full of knowledge, great teachings I just got from you today, my sister. And so I think I found the sweet spot for Power 98.7 listeners. The sweet spot is to conjure up the wonderful memory of Bob Mabena. Okay, let's turn the corner now. It's eight minutes past the hour, 10 o'clock. Uh, Reggie Mualusi is the SANEF Executive Director and in a short while will be heading over to Paris to get a view from Guy Berger, who's the Director for Freedom of Expression and Media Development at UNESCO in Paris, France. And the reason why we're speaking to these two distinguished journalists is because the Reporter Sans Frontières will release its World Press Freedom Index for 2022. Last year, South Africa, in terms of press freedom, was ranked 32nd out of 180 countries. So, you know, that's a pretty good showing, I would say. 32 out of 180 countries in the 2021 index. But um, that's not to say South African journalists must rest on their laurels. There's still some questions raised about uh, the need to restore public trust in journalists, in journalism, improving standards, and also getting journalism um, into the digital age, making sure that it's objective, it's thorough, but it's modernized. So with those words, let us say welcome to Reggie Mualusi from SANEF, the SANEF Executive Director. Good day. Good morning, Lerato. Good morning to Power FM listeners. And thank you very much for your time. So, um, what are the criteria used to measure press freedom, as it were? Sure. Uh, I think I think the criteria, Lerato, has been over time and in in, in, in recent years, it's been quite stark and it's been right in our fa- in, in our faces. Um, we work quite closely as as SANEF with international organizations mm-hmm. such as the Committee Committee to Protect Journalists. Yeah. And and you know, press freedom in South Africa, what we have seen in recent times has been nothing but disappointing. I mean you, you just have to go to our website, our latest statement that we released. Mm-hmm. It's really a statement on a city press female journalists being cyber-bullied yeah. only because some social influencer shared her number, you know, with the yeah. rest of her followers. So that's, that's, that's one example. We also get examples of, you know, journalists, particularly female journalists, being called all kinds of names, being threatened, their yeah. families being threatened. So, so yeah, it's a, I, think, I think as you, as you quoted the index, the index is putting us at, at 32, as you said. It's a, yeah. 
it's a good standing, but we are of the view we can always do better. I think, Reggie, I still want to know, before we get into the issues of what sort of circumstances South African journalists find themselves in and how difficult an operating environment it is, I just want to know, when we're measuring press freedom, what are we measuring? What is the world measuring when they come up with this index? So we are, so the, so, so we are looking at stuff like... Uh, the political climate. Okay. Do politicians in the country allow journalists to do their work? Do they c- take the criticism? We are looking at the readers' interaction. Is there harassment of journalists or not? We are looking at do, do journalists get kidnapped? Do they, do they get killed? Right. We are looking. Yes, we are looking at also internally in newsrooms to say, do are journalists given the tools of the trade to? freely do their work and we are also looking at commercial interest vis-a-vis the newsroom the independence of the newsroom uh-huh. do, do do news media bosses allow journalists to freely do their work without any expectation yeah. from them and lobbying okay that's 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 a pretty comprehensive set of criteria so what you said uh, in your opening preamble is you know south africa's performed really well but we've seen a decline in um the safety and security of journalists particularly um female journalists i want to focus on the first part of that statement we've seen a decline what is the decline in the democratic metrics or the democratic dividend in the country that makes it difficult for journalists across the board, male and female, to do their jobs? So so we have seen, I mean, um, I, I think the governing party and government, as, as it were, the President Ramaphosa came in, he's very supportive of, of media freedom. Yeah. He he does support the, the likes of the work SANF does. But over and above that, I think we, we, we could do better. The the environment itself. I mean, if you look at political rallies yeah. of various political parties, we we see this kind of harassment. That the climate at some of these rallies is not really allowing for journalists to do their work. That's the one part. We then have a challenge, Lorato, with the second part. The second part being an instance where there's a service delivery protest yeah. and a particular community does not understand that journalists are there to do their yes. work. They are not there as some agents of the police to take pictures so people mm-hmm. can get arrested. So those are, the, those are the two examples I can give you. So in the South African context, that's the kind of climate mm-hmm. we face. But then, then again, we'll go online. Online is a different metric yeah. that we can delve into because online now we see mis and disinformation, we see yeah. cyberbullying, yeah. we see all kinds of unprintable names being used. So let's zone in on this issue of how the community views journalists and the perceived role of journalists because it is very, very tricky ground, too many gray areas. So firstly, there's a need for civic education to say when the journalists are here, um, even if at times it feels as though they're encroaching on your space, they're actually here to mirror your community to yourselves and to the rest of the country. But there's a secondary issue, which is when politicians are being criticized by journalists, they may even use the word patriotism. And I know that I've often heard journalists saying, we are journalists, we're not public relations 
that's not the job of the journalist. The job is that of information and of oversight. But both the people in authority and the community at times can't quite grasp that. Why? And it's a struggle because because at often times we are we are, we are being called that we we are unpatriotic, and we are unpatriotic because there's a politician who refuses to listen and understand why we are called to the fourth estate that we are not here because we want to be a part of the governing party's faction or whatever not. So that lack of understanding, I think, is being done deliberately by politicians who will at often times quote what other journalists in other countries are doing. But the fact of the matter is that we, as the media in South Africa, and with our hard-fought constitution, that constitution recognizes the work we do and it says we need to be independent. And all our audiences, all our readers, they expect us to call the very same politicians to account, despite the, the labeling that we often get. And also to that point, Reggie, there is a difference between sort of um, holding politicians accountable and being unduly aggressive. And what do I mean by this is when the government is wrong and corrupt, you need to expose it and you need to have no fear or favor. But when the government is also doing something positive, should that not be celebrated? It should be. It should be. I think, I think, I think o- over time, Lerato, over the years, uh, and I can, tell, I can tell you this also with my time as an editor of a daily newspaper, yeah. we, we, we often had readers telling us, guys, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> it's too grim. So yeah. I'm sure there's a positive story out there that needs to be told. So when it comes to government, I think the good work that government has done, yeah. when you look at our democratic state in the past 28 years, yeah. some of those stories have been told. And we have said this in our engagements with government to say, yes, you have built houses, you have built roads, you have electrified some communities. Those stories have been told. Right. But much as they were told, we as the media, we always have to also right. ask questions that couldn't more have been done. Right particularly when we look at the squash like corruption. Yeah, you, Let's talk about com- or corruption and commercial interests because we've got um, two streams of media in South Africa. We've got um, public, public sector media or public broadcasters. I don't want to say state-owned. Public broadcasters, broadcasters and commercial broadcasters. Commercial broadcasters and, and, and commercial print media, they survive on advertising revenue. They survive on commercial interests. And there needs to be a balance there in terms of people who are buying ad space um, or, or um, supplements not influencing the agenda. And it can get quite tricky. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it, it, it does get tricky because, because uh, we, we often get questions to be asked to say, much as you call yourself independent and a commercial media operator, but advertisers, do you, do you bow down to them and yeah. give them what they want and all that? And, and I can tell you in my current role, when we engage with Corporate South Africa and Corporate South Africa supports South African media, they always tell us, look, we can fund you as Sanef, but where we are wrong, 
where your members need to call us out. They need to do their job. And I think also if you look across the road in Auckland Park, the public broadcaster has over time, over the years, with the the previous group group editor-in-chief, they've done quite well to say, let's restore the confidence in the SAUC and the work the SAUC does. And, And as the new group exec therefore news comes in who's a member of the media and who's a respected journalist we expect that to also be the same to say there's state and commercial interest but there's also the independence of the newsroom that that must be recognized and journalists in the newsroom must be allowed to freely do their work are you separating the role of and briefly reggie of the journalist and say the dj because uh, I would have thought that even the DJ needs a modicum of objectivity. Well, they do, they do, and 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 I think that let's maybe perhaps have to use the example of of the the, pub, the, the, the public broadcaster. You, you, they have talk shows, they have DJs, yeah. and what we have seen of late, they are DJs at best. They have that modicum of journalistic responsibility to say I need to be impartial here and I need not take sides. Yes, there's the commercial interest, there's my bosses, but I need to you know, respect my listeners. Yeah. So We're speaking to Reggie Moualusi, who's the SANEF Executive Director. This is ahead of Reporter Sans Frontières releasing its World Press Freedom Index for 2022. You're listening to the on Power 98.7. 10.21. It's all about World Press Freedom Day and a report that will be launching an index on press freedom around the world. Last year, South Africa came in at 32 out of 180 countries. That's to say, South Africa is actually doing pretty well in terms of protecting the rights of journalists. But according to Reggie Mualusi, South Africa could do even better if journalists were not harassed instinctively and uh, put into really compromised positions when they seek to hold those in authority accountable. Reggie, let's talk about that harassment you alluded to, particularly of female journalists and in the cyberspace, the cyberbullying. Yes, uh, I, I think in the, we can safely say, Lerato, in the past, what, five years or so, we yeah. have seen quite a number of journalists, female journalists, being you know, abused and harassed and called all kinds of names that I can't even say here on air. And that has continued despite cases being opened, despite court cases being won by these by these uh, female journalists. And yeah. I think it's a uh, it, it's worrying, it's it's disappointing, so to say. And I mean, it's something that we we keep on, you know, condemning yeah. as Sanef. But I think we, the question we've been asking ourselves of late is. Shattered under condemnation. What do we what do we need to do? Because we have gone to the police. I mean, the city press journalist has she's working with her lawyers, she's opened a case, but then what afterwards, mm. you know? Do you think it speaks to the misogyny in South Africa, the toxic masculinity we cough or often refer to, the gender based violence, the raping of women, the general disrespect, disregard of South African women, and that it transcends even to the point of reaching um, the sphere of journalism where 
people who want to intimidate somebody who has a contrarian view, they will use their sexual prowess to do just that because it's sort of how South Africa functions. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a it it it, it manifests what a patriarchal society that we live in, that someone knows that this is a woman and she's a journalist, so I can easily say whatever I want to say to her and bully her, and I've got her cell phone number, she's not going to do anything to me. And you ask yourself, why largely against women? But it's because of the the South African society, it mirrors exactly that, what we struggle with on the other end of GBVS, it now goes on to say, here's a journalist, she's a woman, she can't tell me anything, and I'm going to speak to her as I like. She should just respond with the kind of vocabulary her mother would never approve of. Naren Blegari, good day. Hello, Legai Kamui Studio. Fine, thank you, Tati. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, you know, we saw about this thing, yeah, Opramin. You know, I find... Oprah Min is publishing a lot of rubbish information and some of them is really bad and they are not held accountable because they don't even have a, a phone number where you can contact them. So how can it be made accountable? Because most of the stories you found them that are trending on Oprah Min, most of them, they are just wrong information, you know, very bad. Yeah. I think the broader issue, Reggie, is just fake news. We've been living through a cycle of fake news, just not just in South Africa, but worldwide. And the question is, even though you set up these algorithms and these tools for fact-checking, it just keeps happening. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. And, it, and, it, and it's a problem that also you know, emanated largely at the outbreak of COVID-19, where we had all kinds of you know, fake stories and all kinds of mis- and disinformation. So, I mean, yeah, the listener now is citing an example that we as Sun FM have been called to say, who owns this, this publication? Yeah. I mean, how do they account for the kind of content that they publish. And, you know, you just go in there and you look at the publication itself. They don't even subscribe to the South African press code, which then makes it quite difficult to say, how do we then get the editor of this outlet to come in and say, you need to account for this, and it cannot be business as usual that you continue with this. So as you say, fake news is still still among in perpetuity and it's something that we just have to continue educating our audiences and listeners about it and just briefly reggie you know so many things get sent through whatsapp or instagram or social media you know and as you say uh, uh, during the covid era so people will send a video you don't know if it's an authenticated video if it's real or will send through information and attribute it to someone and then people will start forwarding it you know here's a garlic recipe on how to cure uh, COVID-19. And by the time you realize it's fake news, it has been forwarded more than 50,000 times. How can people know just instinctively that this can't be right? This can't be the truth. Yeah, I, I think the part of the education we've been doing, Lerato, has been to say to, to, say to our audiences, uh, you want information. Can you go to the Power FM website or listen to Power? <laughs> Because that's credible, that's yeah. legitimate, yeah. and follow that. And I think the, the example you are citing, we also see it in our own communities, where there are WhatsApp groups, 
and WhatsApp groups are just, you know, sharing and, sh- and widely sharing wrong information. I think the, yeah, yeah. So I think the security measures of in terms of forwarding introduced by WhatsApp, they yeah. were welcomed. But the big question, are they enough? Yeah. Lorato, good morning. Good morning, Lorato, and good morning to Reggie. Thank you for taking my call. So, so I wanted Reggie to talk to us a little bit about how, you, you know, or if they even measure this uh, press freedom, particularly as it pertains to, as it pertains to community media, right? Mm-hmm. If you consider that the media, con- the mainstream media concentration is around main centers, whether it's uh, Houghton, Western Cape, and KZN, therefore you'd have a large, or at least the, the coverage will be done by community media in provinces like the Northwest. Mm-hmm. But we know that the political influence, or rather the decisions that they that they make, uh, yeah. with regards to you know how they they cover the stories vis-à-vis the benefit from right. uh, advertising. How do they, is there something to be done there? Okay, community media, Reggie. Our one uh, thanks to Lorato for, for for the for the brilliant question. I think one of our focuses, Lorato, is community media. We work closely with Association of Independent Publishers. We work closely with the NCRF. That's the guys for community radio. We are having a conversation as SANF around the Journalism Sustainability Fund, which will largely, much of those funds that were raised from corporate South Africa will be concentrated towards community media, but particularly community media in in outlying provinces. This is community media where, you know, people, our veteran journalists in the yeah. organization like Matata said, you have been calling on us to say, you need to step out of the comfort zone of urban areas and reach out to the nook and crook of this country so that community media in those parts of the way of South Africa also get the same support and same attention. So it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation. That's exactly what we're doing. Reggie, my final question to you is going to be two parts. My question and offense um, online. The South African media has often been accused of being quite biased and actually existing in a binary, either pro-government or anti-government, uh, pro-white monopoly capital or anti-white monopoly capital RET aligned. Those are some of the binaries. Offense says, I honestly disagree with your guest. South African journalists are extremely biased and they don't report the facts as we experience them on the ground. I get better news from Twitter to be honest. We're called Afrophobic, anti-African, xenophobic when we raise real issues. The South African media is trash. That view has been echoed many, many times, Reggie. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Offense is entitled to his opinion, Lerato, but I think, to be fair, if if Lerato is on air now, and I and I get a sense that Lerato didn't give me enough chance of a right of reply, and she's biased, I know, as a, as a Power FM listener, that I'm going to approach the PCCSA and complain about Lerato and then prove how biased she was against me. If there's a journalist conducting themselves unethically or they are biased, there's the South African ombudsman. I always advise people that the first port of call should be the editor of the title to say, I think your, 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 your journalist is part of a particular ANC faction or whatever, so that the journalist can be dealt with. So the... That criticism from offense, we've been getting that criticism quite a lot. But we're saying, as journalists, 
at the moment, show me one journalist that you can say they are pro the Ramaphosa faction. You get people making general statements to say, I think a publication like the Sunday Times is pro Ramaphosa. Go pick up the past Sunday's issue of the Sunday Times and just go through their inside section and look at the opinion there and come back to me and tell me, are these people pro the president? Then you'll find they are not. Look at the writing. So prove it, bring the evidence, Let's bring those journalists that we are talking to to account because the conversation we are having as the South African media is one of ethics, is one of regaining the trust. Reggie Mulawasi, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. He is the SANF Executive Director and just speaking to us ahead of uh, an index to be released by Reporter Sans Frontier or in English, Reporters Without Borders. It's World Press Freedom Day. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.